Hello and welcome to Being Security Resilient, Security Risk Management Podcast by Inveroy Crisis Management. Today, I'm joined by John Cooper, one of our senior security consultants. And today, John and I will be discussing why businesses should conduct physical security audits of their premises. It's a, it's a really interesting subject. Uh, and, and John, I mean, John, what's your thoughts and, and what is a security audit maybe for those that don't know or are first time listeners? Yeah, hello, Stu, and uh, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to get this important message across. Security audits for us are extremely important. Any business, regardless of the size of the business, um, will have vulnerabilities. Generally, what we find is people don't come to us until something's either gone wrong or there's been a problem identified. Quite obviously, from the prevention point of view, you're better to put systems in place to make sure that you don't then have to pick up the pieces, regardless of whether that be cyber or some other breach. For us, the security audit is an encompassing review, a detailed analysis of where that building, company, the premises, the venue is, and how they deal with everything. We go generally through nine stages, and it encompasses everything from at the first point, we'll look at the information, the intelligence. So what is the threat to that organization, that business, that building, right down to where they're positioned within the city or the geographical area nationally or internationally? Sometimes it's quite easy to miss things. A lot of companies are in big buildings where there can be 20, 30, well, it doesn't really matter how many other companies, three companies um, with the same building. And so therefore, by association, you can be dragged into something, certainly from a demonstration point of view, and be targeted. It might not even be your own company, but there can be disruption because of a collateral I mean that. I mean that's really interesting, John. Your your time as a former inspector at Police Scotland, you must have seen a, a lot of this because something I've noticed is that a lot of companies don't actually take into consideration about what what actually surrounds them. You know the local crime rate. You know local protests. We've seen a lot of protests across Scotland, especially from from the the climate activists. You know maybe companies are too focused or businesses are too focused on the actual building, but I think you're right. I think um, I think actually what surrounds a company is just as important as what goes on inside its its offices. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, Stu, you're you're absolutely spot on. As I said, we we look at the information, the intelligence first. So that's everything from the local, the national, the international crime profile. Um, has there been any recent protest or demonstration activity there? The most current and biggest threat at the moment is a knife attack. But if you sort of move that to one side, what's probably more realistic is disruption to your organization, your staff, because of demonstration, even if it's not your company that are being targeted. So it's really important for us to understand the organization and where they're positioned, both locally and, as you said, within that sort of crime picture that will be happening in that local area. So, so John, I mean, what about a weekly, a weekly intelligence report? I mean, to me, I mean, I think that makes perfect. If I was a business owner anywhere in the UK, I'd want to know what the potential flashpoints are for me and anything which could affect my people, because my people are my biggest assets. I've got to look after them. So what do you think about a weekly or a monthly, not so much crime report, but intelligence report, John? Is that a good idea? Yes, Stu. I mean, one of the most important things we provide is intelligence reports, whether that's weekly, monthly or quarterly. 
the organization needs to know what is happening and what their threat is. And as soon as they know what their threat is, then they can put mitigations in. As you say, the staff are the biggest asset for any organization, as much as there will be plant and sites there that are very important as well. But um, go back to that point about the neighbors and who, who your neighbors are and the area you're in. A lot of the places in central London or in Edinburgh or wherever it happens to be can actually be by association dragged into a demonstration that they weren't expecting. So, yeah, that would be picked up in intelligence briefings and sent to the right people. But um, from that point of view, it's very important, Stu, that the companies we deal with, there has to be buy-in right across the whole structure of the staff from the executive leadership team um, right the way down to the last person that's just joined the company. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point because, as you said, if you don't have buy-in from the top management, then how can you expect people, the staff, the employees to, fo- to follow suit? And that's something, you know, we found is that some people are really engaging. You know, there's very good health and safety managers out there that, that we've come into contact with that drive this forward. And you, it's not so much a case of hope, but you just, in fact, there is a little bit of hope there. You want the staff, the employees to follow you, come on that journey and understand that what they do inside and outside the business makes makes a big difference. I mean, what, what do you think about that, John? What, what do you think about what, what role do people have to play? If we sort of come away from the outside area now, the environment, and think a little bit more about what goes on inside the building, um, because that's what health and safety managers and security professionals will be thinking about. Uh, you know, how safe and secure is my building? What are your thoughts on that, John? Yes, Hugh, once again, um, you know, it sort of leads nicely into security isn't just one facet. What we like to do is look at it, you know, we can sometimes call it the onion effect where you've got this different layers and it's all those layers that overlap and combine together to ensure that that building, that premises, that site and the staff, the visitors and contractors within those premises are all safe and secure, regardless of what we're dealing with. Um, so our assessments have to look at everything from we've mentioned intelligence both local and national and international, if need be. We look at the environments, as in where they're positioned with regards to transport routes, any of the adjacent infrastructure around them. That actually touches on as well what we refer to as remotely piloted aircraft systems, um, drones to most of us, again, which is an emerging threat that we're well aware of. And a lot of companies are not aware of the sophistication that these drones can do and get on the outside of buildings. I mean, how, how, John, to a business, say businesses in Edinburgh, Glasgow, how, how important do you think that threat of drones is now? You know, we hear a lot about drones used in warfare in Ukraine. What is the threat posed by drones? You know, as a security manager, what should I be telling my health and safety manager? A lot of this is routine common sense. You know, people have got their monitors facing windows. The drones are very sophisticated now and they have and can be fitted with camera, high definition cameras, not even 4K, 10K. So they can get up the outside of a building and look in your window, look at what you're looking at on your monitor. So from an intellectual property point of view, you have to be very, very careful and mindful. But it's also just good housekeeping, making sure people are aware of the drone threat um, with simple things like not having your monitors left on at the end of the day, shutting them down, clear desk policies. We'd cover all of that sort of thing as well. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I've actually heard reports and interacted with with businesses that have had drones in London 
looking through their windows, potentially looking for uh, any type of business secret that could be stolen. So, that, I mean, that's a that's a, a really good point about the importance of having a good drone plan or RPAS plan, as you called it. So listen, let's let's go back to a wee bit about a building. What do you think about access points and access control? Because as a security professional, security manager, yeah, it's, you trying to stop the problem before it gets inside your building is is a is quite a big one. So what about access points, John? I mean, what, what are your thoughts, business security systems? Yes, we have to look at this very closely. There is a plethora of systems out there and some very, very sophisticated equipment. People talk about retina and facial recognition. To be honest, from our learning, what generally works best is having at least a twofold system. So rather than just going for an access card or a swipe system, if you have a swipe system, it's really important to make sure that the cards don't have the company logo, they're not branded, so that if somebody drops a card or loses one, it can be used. But to counter that, what we'd always recommend with companies is that to go with a card swipe system. And we, we encourage them to use that for both coming into the premises and going out. That they When they're coming in, they use a, a coded system. It might just be a four-coded system that's personal to that person. So that you have to have the individual code and the card. And the good thing about the swipe system is it's very auditable. So rather than Big Brother is watching you and you're seeing what time Stu comes to work and what time he leaves, it's actually really helpful when it comes to, say, fire safety. If there is a fire drill or a fire alarm, you should be able to print out very quickly um, exactly who is in the building, whether that's staff, visitors, contractors. And that's really important as well. So there's a lot of other good knock-on effects that you can get from having a good access system. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If you're going to have a, a password to protect your electronic device or your laptop, and then you would have multi-authentication on top of that, then why would you not have that for your building? So, I mean, I think what we've, we've gleaned from this is that access and egress, it's really important. As I said, if you can stop that problem for getting into your building, then, um, you know, you, you've almost, you're not going to stop it, but you're going to definitely reduce the risk of it prevents your staff and employees. And, you know, there's so much stuff we can talk about if we're looking at a building, you know, from from glazing, protected spaces, utilities access, tannoy facilities. I mean, the personal security one, as we said, people present the biggest challenge to security. I mean, the personal security is definitely something that as a manager, I would want to think about, John, you know, who is coming into my business? What am I going to teach them? You know, what sort of culture am I going to give to them to learn? I mean, what do you think a little bit about that that personal security, John? What are your thoughts and recommendations to, to other security managers? Yes, Stu, it's um it's vitally important. Um, a lot of the companies that we work with or have worked with, um, you know, they have fairly rigorous onboarding processes. You know, they're teaching their staff and they're giving them courses, whether that be access to laptops or remote working. But for us, it needs to go even deeper than that. You know, we're very keen that I know it's not always achievable, whether that's through cost or just volume of turnover. But even to the point of vetting, um, most of the financial companies we work with will vet to a certain level. But it's surprising how many um, high-end positions are getting interviewed and or advertised, interviewed, and then get employed. And they're not doing any form of um, vetting behind that. So that's really, really important. But I think one of the main gaps we probably identify is... We talk about onboarding, 
but it's actually offboarding as well. When that employee is leaving or contractor is leaving, what systems are in place so that their access codes, their cards, access to computers and whatever else or other systems they have can be either removed or shut down so that you know you can ensure that your organization and your business is safe. I think you know that's a really good point. You know, you hear a lot about the insider threat, John, and people that, that represent the, the biggest danger to company, actually those that work inside the company, it can be quite malicious, whether that is a sort of disgruntled employee or somebody who joins with an agenda potentially to to disrupt that company. You know, we also talk about social engineering. That seems to be featuring more now in the news, the ability of people to socially engineer employees and gain access to secrets. I think that's something we all need to be aware of. But I think the the culture as well with inside a company, it's I've, I've done work with with some companies who, you know, are quite conscious about their confidential waste. I mean, confidential waste, depending on what you're putting out there, it's it's all it's all business intelligence that people could could pick up on i've i've known some people that have have worked for other companies and um, gone through ways to find out what they can find when conducting a security audit i mean john what's the best way to get your staff to deal with confidential waste yes Stuart, there's two sides to this um with regards to anything that is paper waste that's going to be dis- disposed of um, we find two things generally within a business. And first of all, as you've sort of alluded to, it's it's intellectual property, whether that's business deals or even what looks like an innocuous or a you know harmless letter or email that is going to be sent for confidential waste to be destroyed. Some companies just have a bag that they put it in and it gets picked up either weekly or fortnightly. Some people will shred their confidential waste and throw it away themselves. But what we also find is people will sometimes bring their own documentation, uh, their personal documentation at all levels. Um, you know, CEO, COO will bring stuff in to dispose of it. And again, there's an embarrassment factor there if they find out about utilities or what they're subscribing to or letters they've been dealing with. But I think it's very important that a company will say to us, we'll speak to, say, the office manager, I say, oh, yes, we have a rigorous confidential waste policy and a clear desk policy. And it transpires that there isn't a rigorous clear desk policy. And the confidential waste is picked up by a company who they don't know. They don't even employ them. It's employed by the building on their behalf. And they have no idea what happens to that bag or confidential waste when it leaves the building. And as you say, there are people out there that if they've been tasked to do that, can intercept that and put it all back together. Um, it's not a job I'd want to do, but it can be done. And it's just a threat that people need to be aware of. Yeah, it's it's that challenge, isn't it, of, of getting people to to just realise, you know, of of how easy it is to, to leak information unintentionally, I would say nine out of ten times. I mean, there's so many things we can talk about in a security audit, you know, and people are always at the heart of it. They're at the heart of every company. And that strong leadership is required to make sure those people get on board and behave. You know, especially when they're at work. I mean, we've talked we've talked a lot there about about the people aspect, John. I'm just I'm really interested about the sort of the integrated security. You know, we talk about business security systems. For those that don't know what business security systems are, you know, I'm thinking about CCTV alarms, lighting. We've talked a little bit access points, but CCTV is quite a bit quite a big hot topic just now, John. Not just because of the GDPR issues that it brings with it. 
and also the Chinese angle, which we'll probably talk about in the next two, three minutes. But I mean, as a security professional, John, when when I've been asked to carry out a CCTV assessment, what is it I'm actually looking to do and how does it relate to the security audit? Yes, Stu, um, CCTV obviously is something that we all now live with. It just rolls off the tongue and everyone just expects it to be there. But actually, there's quite in-depth legislation um, and codes of practice around CCTV. So when we do an audit or an assessment, we're not just looking at the coverage. It starts with, you know, what is the operational requirement of that business? It's very, very important that they know what they want their CCTV for. Most people think it's a prevention. I think it's important to say that CCTV will not stop theft or crime or intrusion or sabotage. It's just another one of those layers that will go towards securing and preventing this happening to your company. But you're right, there is data protection and a lot of legislation. And that's another thing that we would always look at to make sure that the company we're dealing with have all of that in place. And they've you know, contacted the information commissioner and that all of that um, has been ticked off just so that they're not going to be left looking or embarrassed or doing anything that's illegal by having their CCTV, which most people want. I mean, it's everywhere you go in in the UK, there seems to be a CCTV camera on every single street corner, you know, and now people are subject to it in, in buildings. There's obviously places you can and can't put CCTV, but how do people feel, John, about being monitored 24 seven? Do you think we need to have it, John? Do you think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a must, would you not say? I personally feel it is a must. I mean, as I've said, it isn't a guarantee that you won't be taken on or that you won't be broken into um, or have property or, you know, staff injured, but it's certainly invaluable after the effect. So it is a preventative measure, but it's, it's absolutely, you know, essential if afterwards you're trying to get evidence, you know, to present a case with regards to um, what's happened or what has been taken on, how they got in. I mean, that's that's a really good point about the evidence change on. And, um, you know, with the amount of investigations that are going on just now into into thefts and I suppose climate activism, actually, video surveillance plays a huge part in that evidence chain. Uh, OK, so, I mean, CCTV, I think we both accept and the listeners accept that it is it is a way of life now and you have to accept it. And it's there for good. It's there for, for good reasons, not bad. I mean, you know, you've touched there on surveillance equipment. I mean especially with the, with the China aspect now, and um, we've seen Huawei obviously denied being access into, into the UK through, through phone masts. What other, other various surveillance equipment that's actually banned, John, that people should be aware of? Yes, this is what we're finding. There's a section called Section 889, and it's the US National Defense Authorization Act, so the NDAA. It was passed in 2019, and they have banned a number of Chinese companies. Um, it's quite difficult from the point of view, it's not just the companies that they've banned and equipment that they produce, because it, it then goes to the next stage. There are other com- companies that actually aren't banned that ironically use systems that are built by these companies. It might be a chip or a component part. So it is quite complicated, but the Americans have basically produced a list of the companies that are genuinely are banned at the moment. It's not law in the UK, but an awful lot of the Western countries, whether it be Australia or Canada or New Zealand, will pick up on that. And it's just seen as very good practice. 
Um, it's a difficult one because invariably when developers or companies are putting in CCTV, there's a cost element. And some of the equipment that's made in China is of, of very high, you know, it, it's really, really good at w- what it does. Um, the fact that it's now being banned or certain companies being banned is quite difficult to unpick because this could have been put in the systems, you know, two or three years ago. Um, so that leaves companies with a bit of a problem. It's all very well now looking at that, but it's also a bit of a minefield from the point of view that, as I mentioned, it's not as simple as just saying that company is banned. There are actually companies out there, without mentioning names, that will use certain component parts that are made by these banned companies. So by de facto, they would not be NDAA authorized or approved. So it is quite difficult. I think the most important thing is to know that where your system has come from, it's obviously got to be fit for purpose and adequate. All the other bits of abuse about being legitimate and proportionate, et cetera, are go without saying. But you just need to make sure that your company and the equipment in your company is covered and it's legitimate and that you're continually checking that and that there's no one can get access to that data or, in this case, the video surveillance that you're taking. So so as a, a security manager who, who has been asked to conduct a security audit or even maybe if they're not security managers, it might just be, you know, health and safety or project managers. There's nothing, you know, from what we've talked about today. It's not that you can't trust a developer to give you the latest information, the latest equipment to make sure that your premises is protected. It's, you know, from what we've talked about, John, it's important that you get security professionals in to give you that advice and give you that oversight of, of what actually is being provided for you. Because potentially, you know, there's aspects of this deployment of equipment that you're not aware of. Um, and if you're moving into a new premises, You've got to make sure that you've had a, a complete audit conducted and you continue to have an audit. So, I can, so, John, from what you're saying today, I can see that a security audit is so important to be carried out by a company. Any sort of closing remarks, John, or thoughts? Yeah, the security audit is a vital tool. Um, it, it gives you a led approach to security, whether it's your staff, whether it's people coming to visit your premises. It might be an isolated premises that you know doesn't have very many staff, but it the asset still needs to be protected. And the security order, we're not there to catch people out. We're not there to make look anybody, anybody look silly. We're there to help to try and identify any problems or gaps. We've dealt with companies who have very, very sophisticated CCTV. And it's let down by the fact that they can only record it for maybe 24 hours or 72 hours. That's just not long enough. Our suggestion would be increase the system that can keep that digital recording and it needs to be a minimum of 28 days ideally three months if you have the facility to do that but again a lot of it comes down to cost but there's no point having this really sophisticated system if you've only got that imagery or you can't even access that because a lot of the times the buildings we're dealing with the cctv actually belongs to a second user the people that actually own the building so these are the sort of things we would look at and we would then suggest and we would always prioritize it. So in that case, we'd say, look, the cameras are very good, but you're not recording it for long enough. This is a priority. So it's just one aspect, the CCTV. As I said, there's numerous other aspects we look at from vetting, from the cyber threat, right the way through to the training they give their staff and their awareness of the staff. But it is a vital tool. And that also ties in very closely for us with our security management plans that we do um, at Inveroy to help companies 
right across the board with their full security. Okay, John, thanks so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate that. And I think the message out there to to security managers, security professionals, and and to business owners is that you know time spent and money spent conducting a proper security audit is is just invaluable, and and you will see the, the benefit of it later to your business and your people. John, thanks so much for for joining us today, and um, I look forward to hearing from you next time. Bye-bye, John. Bye. Thank you, Sue.